The Free Speech Coalition. The Free Speech Coalition. The Free Speech Coalition. Free Speech Coalition. The Free Speech Coalition. The Free Speech Coalition. Podcast. In July 2018, Auckland Mayor Phil Goff publicly announced that he was banning two controversial Canadian speakers from Auckland Council venues. Cut a long story short, that led to the Free Speech Coalition. Welcome to the Free Speech Coalition podcast, and today we have just received hot off the press the Court of Appeal decision in relation to our judicial review of the events that led to the cancelling of the uh, the Canadian speakers uh, in Auckland. I'm joined by our founding member of the Free Speech Coalition and solicitor Stephen Franks, and uh, with him Patrick Korish, who is our former Free Speech Coordinator, now solicitor at the same firm, Franks and Ogilvy. Gentlemen, thanks for joining the Free Speech Coalition podcast. G'day. Thank you. So first impressions, gentlemen, um, what, what what do you make of what the, what the court, or what has the Court of Appeal found? Stephen, do you want to go first or shall I? Yeah. Um, we, we won on the things that we had to win on. Um, the High Court had really given us an incomprehensible decision that we weren't even bringing a case of public importance and it had said that our representative plaintiffs were on a personal crusade and didn't have standing to bring the case. It had also said that uh, although the venues in Auckland, pretty much all of the public venues, the ratepayer-owned meeting places, were in the hands of a council-controlled subsidiary, that subsidiary didn't have to um, wasn't affected by the law that would have affected the council, the obligation to uphold the Bill of Rights, uh, the obligations not to discriminate on political grounds and the obligations uh, to protect free speech. So uh, those three things, we couldn't leave um, the law as it was stated by the High Court, and we won on all three of those. Um, in fact, we should can be pretty uh, pleased. We've got a fairly unusual... Uh, order on the costs. The judge in the High Court had ordered uh, costs against us. The uh, Court of Appeal says that that order should be cut by 70%, even though normally costs follow the result. And on the main substantive issue that uh, was left for the court, we lost. What we lost on was our argument that uh, the cancellation decision uh, didn't have enough consideration of the alternatives to cancellation that the um, venue managers had taken protester threats to health and safety and simply just cancelled without um, giving enough weight to their obligations uh, to protect free speech effectively to defeat the, the what's often called the heckler's veto, but in this case is more accurately called the thug's veto. Um, the yeah. court. Yeah, so that's, I mean, obviously after we found out that what Goff had said was, was not correct and the council gave evidence that it was in fact cancelled for health and safety reasons, that's obviously why we continued the, the court case because we can't let uh, the threats of protests or the, the, the threats of hecklers or thugs or whatever we want to, term we want to use win. Is this a capitulation to that? No, it doesn't. Um, the court says that it's relevant. Uh, it it talks about how important the it's become in the, in the United States, where government bodies have a very 
direct um, duty to try to ensure Fug's veto doesn't win. Uh, it cites um, the Canadian courts who've been dancing around it a bit, saying we're not Americans, but uh, so we don't have exactly what the Americans have, uh, but it is a relevant consideration. And then it says we're going to need to do the same kind of thing in New Zealand, and we have Section 5 of our New Zealand Blood Rights Act, which says that uh, human rights or the rights in that bill, which include free speech, are uh, subject to the limitations um, that are reasonable in a free and democratic society. But then it doesn't tell us just how you should balance those and where the duties will pitch up and who they'll be on. In other words, raises the issues and doesn't give the guidance that we'd hope for. So in that sense, uh, we didn't win. We definitely, and it's, the court has uh, said that we didn't win on the substantive question and uh, the judgment makes that clear. So in short... Uh, under our Bill of Rights, uh, there are justified limitations or when courts determine that the limitation is um, is reasonable in a, a fair and democratic society. Here they're saying that in this particular instance, the thug's veto is a reasonable limitation? No, I think they're saying that the um, the health and safety uh, ramifications of, a, of the thug's veto um, is a weighted consideration that the decision makers um, correctly took into account. But that's the same thing. I mean, in effect, that's the same thing. No, I think it's a little bit, it's, it, it will be treated, unfortunately, I think it, it may be treated as reinforcing the ability for decision makers to cite health and safety fears. But what the court actually did was say the event organisers weren't upfront about the likelihood of protest and the fact that in Australia where they'd organised these they had kept the actual venue secret until the last minute and that because the um, the concerns that protesters um, threats sort of came in and caught the venue organizers blindsided it, it was reasonable for them to have enough worry that they wouldn't be able to overcome those threats to make the decision they made so I, when you look at the detail of the facts, it leaves this as an open question to be argued in the future. We had we didn't lose in the sense that uh, we've got a precedent that's bad for us. We haven't gone backwards. Uh, but we didn't we didn't win in the sense we didn't get a court saying passionately um, this is an issue that's so important. Um, if I err, I'll err on the side of saying you you ought to have um, have not given in to that veto. What do you think the? Why do you think the courts are reluctant to take that last step? I mean, the the it amazed me that the context of what brought about these proceedings were not acknowledged vis-a-vis what the mayor was saying publicly, while all this was going on behind the scenes. The judgment goes through about officials being worried about these threats and. Um, peace action um, saying that they're going to boycott the event or disrupt it or stop people from going and uh, and that it would be very difficult, for example, for this venue to, to evacuate it because of where it is and the like. Why do you think the court shied away from even acknowledging what, what, what our public interest was? I mean, that certainly acknowledged that there is public interest in this case and it was brought for the right reasons, reflective in the unusual decision to discount the costs by such a large extent. Um, why do you think that is, Stephen? And has that changed over time, that, that, that willingness to, to, 
take on politicians being economical with truth? I think it's a problem that is part part of the advantage of New Zealand is that we're close and we are familiar with each other. And if you like, you can talk shorthand because you know how we think. The downside is um, you get an elite consensus that's a kind of groupthink. And at the moment, New Zealand judges are passionately committed to expanding the boundaries of judicial intervention and things like enforcing uh, community consultation on councils and second-guessing school boards and treaty rights and so forth. But free speech is old-fashioned. I don't think it's entirely unfair to say it's just not a woke issue. And so they're quite happy to be nuanced on it and to apply what they think is a legal process. But as you say, in this in this case, the what the mayor had said he could do was the key political issue and the key reason why we couldn't let it lie, why we had to go to court, because it's emboldened councils and, and mayors and other places. Nelson's been busy saying that its venues aren't open for um, some some kinds of speech which they consider to be um, out beyond the pale. Um, but the judges, it, it, it used to be a proud claim of, of our lawyers and judges that they were there to defend against the power of the state. Um, I think that many of them now think the state's got to defend against the um, the rude and the unwashed. You've seen it similarly in other English-speaking jurisdictions, the judicial hostility Brexit, for example, and the majority vote there. Whatever you think of it, it was extraordinary that the judges uh, created so many hurdles yeah, I guess it's just the subtlety of it all. I mean, one of the one of our other legal advisors um, that I, I saw in some of the internal emails that have been um, flipped around the last few hours that the decision is a strong warning to councils and CCOs, like here it was Auckland Regional Facilities, mm. that they must never make decisions for the reasons Mayor Goff had claimed. Well, that might be the way that 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 lawyers interpret it. But they the court never quite says that because they appear not to not to want to mention, uh, a golf or, or or this um, or other examples where councils are, and I can think of of straight off the top of my head two examples where a mayor uh, has expressed similar views about about groups not even under health and safety, or it could be um, saying that we don't want them at our council-owned venues. Do, do you think this sends a strong enough? Well, firstly, do you agree that this does send a message that actually? that councils have to worry about, or CCOs included, have to worry about uh, freedom of speech? And second, do you think it, it sends that message in a clear enough way? Um, I think Patrick's view on this would be, coming from a, a, a perspective of how the US Supreme Court talks, or even how judges have talked at other times in our history and, and uh, in the English tradition, you'd say, no, it doesn't send it clearly at all. Mm. Uh, you have to be a lawyer to read it and realise that councils are being told uh, you can, you'll be challenged or you can be challenged and uh, you're going to have to have pretty good reasons to be discriminating on these grounds. But no, it, it's not a clear message. It's there. But, for example, our Human Rights Act says that um, people in the position of, of council shouldn't must not discriminate on political grounds in in the facilities they make available. 
Well, the court just mentions that and goes right past clearly saying that they didn't need to make a decision on that basis because they made a decision pre on, on the basis that the um, the controlling organisation was susceptible to judicial review. But if judges are passionate about something or believe that it's a very important issue, they have ways of making it pretty blunt and they haven't made it blunt or clear in this case. So you're saying it's cultural then that that it is that I mean judges shouldn't in theory be swayed by public dialogue and debate or you use the term woke or wokeness. Do you think that that's just inherent though in human nature? Well, of course it's inherent. Um, you're swayed by your friends and what they think and you're swayed by whether you like or don't like um, others. But what you choose to to be disciplined about um, depends on how you perceive your role. And I, I think we lost something substantial when we lost the right of appeal to the Privy Council with independent judges outside our little hothouse. It's probably much harder to be um, out of step with your with your colleagues in New Zealand, or I might say the colleagues with um, prevailing uh, virtue virtuous opinion than it than it is in a much bigger society. The, this is um, this is a new um, way of 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 viewing um, the judiciary as far as a young lawyer is concerned, Stephen. Because I I had always I was always taught that you know the the, the Justices are are apolitical, that they only really look at uh, at you know, the grounds that are brought before them, and any sort of um, commentary on um, you know politicians having said something that you know, wasn't you know directly related to the grievance or the uh, or the grounds of complaint, um, it, it shouldn't 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 be discussed or talked about. And are you saying that um, that justices in certain circumstances? have the capacity or should in fact be encouraged to slap particular politicians on the wrist um, whenever they step out of line or, or make a, a particular um, uh, political encouragement to people who um, might uh, might use that as you know free license to uh, curtail the rights of others? Well, there's times when judges clearly crusade. Uh, you know, Fitzgerald and Muldoon was, was a, slap, a slap by the judiciary against a Prime Minister who was asserting powers to essentially suspend uh, legislation. Uh, the decision by the courts to turn somewhat obscure compromise in the State and Enterprises Act into the, the treaty as a partnership was a vision that was picked up by judges and they ran with it way past where politicians would ever expect in fact the Prime Minister at the time, David Longley has said that quite bitterly. So you can't, it, it's the legal realism mm. analysis. Yeah, well, this is what. Has, has important insights. Th but this it, is what. Here, I'm just surprised that the judges didn't take the opportunity to, mm. make a, to make the reasoning of their decision more clear and to be more uh, sweeping. Yeah, I agree. The case that just th cried out for it. Th this was, we waited eight months for this decision. Uh, since the since the hearing, I expected. I'm astonished, given it took so long, that they appear to, at all opportunities, taken the 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 easy route. Um, that is that they've stated a bunch of principles around the world. They've even gone on to say 
way the US approaches the thug's veto and compared it to Canada and then didn't say what way that would be preferred. They said that a New Zealand would have to determine it in its own context. Well, if it's not this context, when the heck, um, what what case are they waiting for um, for it? Um, it? As I say, it wasn't a split decision, which you'd, which was when you wait so long, you wonder if there's a bit of um, argy-bargy or disagreement going on that they'll that the the, the, the registry is waiting for multiple judges to write uh, their own decision. There's there's none of that. It it feels pretty pretty disappointing uh, all round. Uh, I mean, I guess it doesn't take us backwards. It it certainly doesn't let Auckland Council um, off the hook in that they can't say it's owned by a subsidiary. We don't have to worry about that. They do, but I fear that at least the way that the uh, our opponents to free speech will pick it up will basically say see it as encouragement. If we can make it hard enough for the organisers of publicly owned venues, if we can threaten um, uh, chaos, then they will capitulate, and there's nothing that anyone can do about it. That seems to me back back to what we were originally worried about right at the beginning, and the courts have huffed and puffed and made all the right noises, but um, have failed to follow through. I think that's a pretty fair summary of the mm-hmm. concern, Jordan. I mean, if you, it's, it, it is a theme, though. I mean, if you look, for example, at how the, the land occupiers at Ihimatau um, have ended up winning, it's something which uh, New Zealand politicians and maybe New Zealand voters seem to be comfortable about. If you... Uh, there's a view that um, it's always better to uh, engage with and placate or appease bullies than to the fight. And in this case, uh, the judges these chose are, not to express... These are people that plant fake bombs. I mean, how do you appease Auckland Peace Action? I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that, that's what I find so astonishing. So we circle back round... Well, that's, and- why we had, that's why David Kerman was such a powerful... Um, plaintiff and very brave and and both plaintiffs um, really took mm. personal risks in becoming part of this um, David would have ha- would have no truck with most of what the two speakers or I don't know if he had a truck with anything two speakers were going to say but he has seen how 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 easily easily threats to Jewish um, activity um, turn to really clear attempts to intimidate so I, I, it is it is disappointing it's it's great that as the decision is written for lawyers council lawyers will now be advising their their clients they've got to be pretty careful if they're going to um, to turn down venues on the basis as Phil Goff's claim he did that the speakers would be divisive and that was that won't be enough under this this that won't be enough it's more um i mean as we see happens in australia where the police are for example try to charge event organizers when there's going to be protests for them having to turn up i think that the although uh, you know you front up to a council you're up front and here the court argued that didn't happen with the security and health and safety risks as long as all steps are taken and and it can be done safely, councils are obliged to, notwithstanding what a, um, a, a hopping up and down mayor says. Hmm. Um, the issue is that it ignores the practical reality that unless officialdom 
including the police, including organisations like the council with traffic management and things, draw a clear line and say, no, no, we stand up for the um, for the rights of both sides for freedom of speech, um, not 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 just the protesters or, or or whatever. It's pretty pointless because, of course, the costs lie on whoever is um, on whoever's been protesting against. And mm-hmm. this is the the complexity that that the case in Canada um, that was alluded to in this decision. But they just don't take any view on it, and that's what what I find find concerning. But as you say, it's cultural. And I think that's probably our role as a you know as a movement, um, as the Free Speech Coalition, and what we're um, what our what our next plans are that 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 that's, that that are coming up. Um, I think that's our challenge is to make free speech fashionable again. Is that the is that the best way forward, Steve? I'd, I'd express it differently. I'd, I'd say our challenge is to get to defend the virtues of tolerance and civilization and the virtues of people recognizing that their own safety and their own um, independence agency, whatever buzzword you want to use, but their own dignity um, will one day be threatened if they are giving to governments or to any authorities like councils the power for the elected representatives to to decide who's not going to be tolerated. It's a, in this case, talking about the cost, the court just blithely went past the um, possibility that the speaker speakers here should have been required to post a bond or could have posted a bond if they'd discussed the issues early enough. Well, that's basically, it's going to be used as if that's a blessing for imposing potentially huge costs on people who want, who have unpopular views. And the court should have been very clear and said that in itself is problematic. Steve, a couple of politicians have, and in fact, Patrick, you were quite instrumental on that um, uh, when, um, when you were with us. The, the in reaching out to politicians, and there are members of parliament that are members of, of, of the coalition, um, we've just had interest or inquiry from a very high-profile MP um, about joining our, our new organisation yet to be announced. Um, if Do you think that there's legislative solutions that we should perhaps be pushing for? Well, we should be pushing for them anyway because they ought to be debated at the high levels. I mean, there's quite a lot of um, political innocence about just where free speech came from and what it means. Or we're... we're those of as I've steeped in the law and you know the the, the philosophy and the the background to that incredible the unusual thing that free speech is I'm pretty unaware of 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 how little is known about it why it's important so yeah what what, what would it be because we've got the high principles in the human rights act we've got the high principles in the bill of rights act but the courts seem pretty, you know, they, they get out with the belt. Or here, ironically, they say it's a balancing test and then don't and then fail to even sort of go through that. Um, they, 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 they take the cheap option here. How do you force the courts to stand up for, for freedom of speech? Well, I think we, I think, I, I don't like great sweeping solutions. In my experience of what works, you take each area where, the shoe is squeaking and you tailor a solution for that one. So, for example, for local authorities, I would um, 
make it clear in the Local Government Act, not in the Bill of Rights and not in NZ Bora, but make it very clear that they are to be politically neutral in their administration of assets and that where there are um, health and safety risks, they've got to um, take all reasonable steps to ensure that the lawbreakers are the ones who, whose activity is circumscribed, not people who are acting lawfully. That's not a very complicated principle. But, uh, Stephen, do At you the think... Moment, health and safety has been used as a sort of trump card in all sorts of spheres. It's not just in, in, in the free speech area. You claim a health and safety risk, you can abridge all kinds of, of, of um, people's rights. Well, I, I think the counter to that would be that health and safety is a pretty big deal, especially when you're dealing with, you know, um, you know those that, you know, on at least on Twitter are, are fantasizing about um, um, mauling, injuring or, or even killing uh, some of their political opponents. So do you think do you think that simply saying that um, that so far as the councils are concerned, so long as they take in all reasonable steps, even though that might not be enough, that they can still. Um, uh, uh, cancel events because the thugs veto the threat of, of of thugs is too great. I'm just wondering whether or not that there needs to be you know broader um, a broader policy or principle changes like that. You know, may, perhaps a, a reexamination of, of of Section Five, perhaps of of Bora. Well, maybe. I mean, I. I I don't know how I would do it. I know mm. how I would try and change the law governing local authorities or imposing on the police uh, a duty to... Um, to That's the American to approach. All, all, yeah. all, all, all the things that are reasonable to defend the non-orbit, to defend the innocent party. And that's, that's not a big matter of principle. It would be quite hard to stand up in Parliament and say that that was unreasonable. But at the moment, we don't have that. I mean, the police have modified their own statement of objectives in New Zealand. If you go to their website... Their objective now isn't to um, ensure that the law is, is observed or that um, crime doesn't threaten injury citizens. It's to make New Zealand safe. Well, it's pretty. You know, that could easily have been the objective of the police in in Soviet Russia or communist China. Uh, you can make people safe by not allowing them to take any risks. We'll leave it there, gents. I do want to put on the record a thanks to our uh, plaintiffs, but also a thanks to your firm and you, particular Stephen, for all your countless unbilled uh, hours on this particular file. On this particular file, um, I, I, I for one think that it's doing God's work. I'm pretty disappointed with it, although it certainly was satisfying to get the acknowledgement that we are doing this for the right reasons. That it is public. Um, it is in the public interest, contrary to what that outrageous um, High Court uh, judgment said. Um, so we will continue to fight the fight in, in other ways. Um, thank you for the explainer. Just also look at uh, our, our barristers. Mm. Uh, yes, of course. Jack Hodder, QC, and Jordan Grimmer, who's, who's junior barrister. They've also put in a lot of time for which we haven't been um, seen in the voice. Absolutely. Thanks, gentlemen.